Watch those disciples as they are just so confident in their faith, so confident with that man. And then imagine the excitement that evening as they get back to their homes and they just debrief over what happened in that day, the very beginning of the church, as that revelation that Jesus is alive, that this Jesus heals people, that this Jesus even heals people today. This Jesus is alive and works through his followers. Just imagine being an eyewitness yourself to this amazing scene. And that's one of the things that really struck me about this passage, the detail. It's actually quite easy to imagine yourself into that scene because Luke writes such detail. So I think it would be really, really helpful. I know we say this a lot from the front, but if you have a Bible open to follow with me, um, stewards, if you could help, just raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. Um, it's Acts 3, verses 1 to 10. Or if you've got your phone, I'm more than happy if you want to look it up on your phone. If you're one of those silver surfers, then good on you. Let's keep it up. If that's not an offensive title. Kim, are you looking at me worried about that title? <laughs> Wonderful. So it's Acts 3, verses 1 to 10. So at this point in the passage, the early church is still finding their way. They're still finding their way within that Jewish framework. So Peter and John do what's normal to them. They go off to the central place of the Jewish faith, the temple, right at the center of Jerusalem. And I imagine the day not grey like we've had today, but maybe like some of the sunny days we've had in recent time, where it's the sun is so bright, there's still a slight chill in the air, they're walking up to that temple mount, the sun is still chilly and it won't, won't reach its full force of intensity for a few hours. Place yourself there. They enter the temple through one of the gates, the beautiful gate. There, sitting there, is a beggar. A man who's been there probably for many years. He's become part of the furniture. And yet today, something will happen that will change his life forever. He does what he does maybe for every person who passes. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, verse 3, he asked them for money. He's about to get the shock of his life. Firstly, Look what Peter and John do. Every detail of this passage is important. And this one is challenging. They don't just walk by. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. They looked him in the eye. I know that so many times we walk past people in the street and maybe ignore them, or maybe worse, maybe we look away. And even though in our heads we plan that we give money in different ways and maybe it's not ideal to give to that individual, I think I want to make much more of an effort to think of that person as God thinks of that person, as a loved, created man or woman who's just down on his or her luck, recognizing that they are a person and greet them with a smile instead of actively looking away 
or just ignoring them. So Peter and John look him in the eye. Like the people we pass in the street, this is a man who is loved by God. Peter and John not only look at him in the eye, but then they stop and they say to him, look at us. Look back at us. And in your translation, you'll see this. There's an exclamation mark in our English. Look at us. It's so strong. So instead of what must have happened all the time where people just walk by that man, the man now pays clear attention to these two men who are certainly unusually paying attention to him. Luke tells us that the man was now expecting something. Of course he was from them. He thought that they were going to give him money. He was going to eat well tonight. They, they had his attention. But no, there was something far more precious coming to him today. Peter could see this man was expecting some money. But in the next 24 words spoken by Peter, Jesus would change this man's life forever. So Peter so directly states what he hasn't got, but what he does have. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. This early church didn't have huge funds. We saw last week in our Acts sermon that the new believers sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Peter and John know, though, that they have something far more precious. With these words full of power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. One word, four letters. Here again is such a beautiful detail that comes in our passage. Peter taking him by his right hand. An eyewitness report, not just lifting him up, but the detail of taking him with his right hand. He helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles become strong. Then this lovely, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Let's just pause here. I want to ask you a question. The book of Acts is the, book, is the Acts of who? Who has been doing these Acts? Well, traditionally, if you do have your Bible open and you went back to Acts 1, depending on your version, it might say the Acts of the Apostles. Or well, some later versions just say Acts now. But I don't think it's just the Acts of the Apostles. In so many ways, this is not just their Acts. In so many ways, it's the Acts of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are so active again and again as we turn the pages of this amazing adventure story that Luke captures in the Acts. Even here, as Luke is writing them down, his act of writing down the events of Acts, if you bear with me, is also inspired by God, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, working in partnership with him. As all scripture is that amazing partnership that God engages in with humankind. God with author, author with God. We see this in each of the gospel writers. Each writer comes from their own background. God honours their character, their history, and he just, he, he inspires them and guides them by that one Holy Spirit. 
And we're all the better for it, where we have four Gospels with different flavors and, and different views on that same Jesus Christ. God doesn't have to use humans. He is God. He can do anything he likes. The beauty of this loving God is that he chooses to invite us into his ministry. Does he need us? Of course not. But like a loving, heavenly human father, who maybe, imagine a, heavenly, a human father working in his workshop, and his child comes to the door and says, Daddy, can I help? You know it's not going to be a help. But the loving father says, of course, come and work with me. God invites us, of course, come and work with me. It's such a privilege. In a moment, we will be celebrating this ultimate invitation, this invitation to meet round his table, where we remember what he did 2,000 years ago on that tree in Calvary. But also we remember that time at the end of time, when there will be a wedding banquet, another table, where we are invited to sit with Jesus and eat and commune and chat and hug and everything throughout eternity. So going back to the other end of time, so going back to our passage here at the start of the church, Jesus acted through those 24 simple, strong words that Peter spoke. Words from Peter, action from Jesus, that would change this man's life forever. And how does he respond? Well, here he is cured, but he is cured in so many ways. Read the next verse, verse eight. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Yes, praising God. But notice there's something in that last verse that we can skip on too quickly. Then he went into the temple court. This is amazing for this man. And, and because of our context, we may miss this. Because he was, would have been sitting by that gate for years. And why was he sitting at that gate? Why didn't he go further into the temple? And the reason is he wasn't allowed to. There was a law from Leviticus about the temple. And it said, no man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand. With our modern eyes, this sounds awful, and it is. However, the principle here encapsulated in the Old Testament teaching is the need for proper fitness and reverence in approaching God. We are called to come before the, God, before the Lord just as we are, and through Christ, we can now do that. We are all accepted. None of us are seen as crippled or lame or blind. We are all seen as his forgiven people. The author of Hebrews sums this up in chapter 12, verse 28, when he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worshipful God, and so worship God ex accepting, sorry, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And so we come to God as forgiven people with reverence and awe. Through Jesus, just like this man, we are a forgiven people. We can come before God without fear, 
with awe and with reverence. This is the difference Jesus Christ of Nazareth makes then in the first century and now in the 21st century. Jesus' mission continues. There's an organization some of you may have heard of called the Acts 29 Movement. And um, I'd just like you to open up your Bibles, if you could, at Acts 29. Could you do so? And could somebody volunteer to read from Acts 29? Audrey, would you? No. Um, Kim, can I pick on anyone else to embarrass them? Anybody got Acts 29 yet? I'm being very naughty. <laughs> You're all volunteering to read now. Fantastic. There is not an Acts 29. It stops at 28. But the Acts 29 network, that's their exact principle, their exact reason for calling it that, because they're saying the church goes on, and the church does go on. Luke records in the Acts from 30 AD to about 60 AD, from the gospel moving from Jerusalem to Rome. But of course we know, because we are here as part of a church of two billion people, that the acts of the Holy Spirit went on and on and on. Those 29 chapters represent about 30 years, about one chapter per year. If we carried on writing Acts, if Luke carried on and his descendants, we'd be on Acts 1,970 now for each year. But God does this. He does this by working with us. He works with us and just loves to invite us as his adopted children into his mission. And this can be done through silver and gold. We know in Surrey, we have silver and gold. God blesses us with things, with time, that is, can be part of his mission, but also through miraculous acts. He uses both in such a gentle way so often. God has blessed us as a church here in Claygate. And he invites us to bless others with our time, with our money, with our love, with our praise, with our prayers. He invites us to pray prayers, to come alongside people who need him. And I invite you to pray the miraculous. I invite you to invite the God of the impossible into situations that maybe we've given up hope on because as people with silver and gold. Sometimes we rest too much on that silver and gold. Peter and John had none, but they had something so much more precious, and so do we. So I invite us, as we pass people who need our help, let's not pass them. Let's look them in the eye, honoring the person in front of us. And how can we bless? As I've already said, with those natural blessings we have, we, we can bless people, but also let's invite God to step in with the miraculous. He's inviting you and me today to accept his invitation to not walk by, but stop, to look, to care, to love, to pass on the blessings that Peter and John had and each one of us have received too. Bless you all. Amen.